the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. It's my birthday. I hung one more year on the line. Morning, Glory America, and happy birthday to me. Always love playing a little Paul Simon. I hung another year on the line. And what a year it's been and what a year it's going to be. I begin today on my birthday with a horrific story out of Israel, where another terror attack occurred this morning at a traffic jam. They have checkpoints at various places in Israel. And so cars line up to be checked. And three terrorists walk down the line shooting at people. They only managed to kill one. And may his memory be a blessing. We don't know his name yet. They injured 12, including a pregnant woman who's in surgery as we speak, so pray for her. The the three gunmen just simply walked along until two of the gunmen were shot dead by armed citizens and security forces. And to all those of you who are packing in your car today, uh, understand it's not Israel. You're unlikely to be assailed by three terrorists. But understand in Israel, you try that stunt, a civilian's going to get you. The third of the three terrorists got away when encountering Coward's Run and subsequently was, quote, neutralized. But that's the morning story. Uh, I'll bring you details on the wounded woman, pregnant woman undergoing surgery as we move along. Uh, President Biden, uh, remember he told you he couldn't do anything about the border, couldn't do anything about the border? He's mulling a plan that could restrict asylum claims at the border, according to The New York Times. So, you know, he can do a lot at the border. He's choosing not to do. Eight million people have come in over his three years that we know about. We know about the get- the getaway. He does a lot of strange things. Like yesterday, he forgave, allegedly, $1.2 billion in student loan debt. Now, he's tried this stunt before, and he got slapped down by the Supreme Court, so it may happen again. He does not have the authority to do that. And he's not forgiving student loan debt. He's transferring it to you and me by adding it to the national debt. Joe Biden has a dog, by the way, Commander. FOIA requests came back yesterday. Commander has bit 24 staff in one year. All right, Generalissimo, you're a dog guy. Does that dog help you stay on your MyPhDWeightLoss.com program? Yes, because basically she eats everything. 864-644-1900. That's 864-644-1900. I wanted to... You know, I'm going to the National Religious Broadcasters today. I thought maybe I'll take that tape along on how to do a sponsorship smooth without anyone even knowing you've done it. Maybe put the website in there, too, somewhere along the way. MyPhDWeightLoss.com. That way you can make it nice and smooth. Yeah. Yes. If you want to lose 50 pounds or more or less, MyPhDWeightLoss.com. Back to the news. James Biden, the president's brother, appeared yesterday in front of the House committees. And he said President Biden had nothing to do with his work. Nothing at all. 
Not a thing. You anyone out there buying that? Anybody at all? How did Joe Biden get three houses? He got a house in McLean, got a giant mansion in, in, in McLean, Virginia, is like Beverly Hills. He got a giant house in Delaware. He got a beach house. So my guess is three houses all told, $25, $30 million. That's just a wild guess. But a beach house in Delaware, going to set you back 10 A McLean house, going to set you back 10 uh, Delaware? I don't know much about Delaware. Maybe another five. It's a big house, giant house. Where did he make that money? He was, he was, he's been on the public payroll since 1972, except for the year 1917 to 2021, during which time he was campaigning uh, and uh, doing a few speeches. But he owned all those properties a long time. That would be James Biden and Hunter. Hunter doesn't bring much to the show, but the uh, he sure does. James Biden. But nothing to worry, nothing to see here. Joe Biden was on my side of the world last night, giving a, raising money. The only kind of event he ever does, he raises money. And we got a little bit of tape of him in Culver City, cut number uh, eight on his, uh, his poor teleprompter. And I problem. thought I'd make a lot more sense to relieve student debt for families and, and it would grow our economy. Well, there were existing programs in the law to fix and adjust the programs. Uh, we had to we had to change them to make people uh, actually uh, make them available for people, make people eligible. Okay, let's let's run one more time because nobody understood that. And I thought I'd make a lot more sense to relieve student debt for families and and it would grow our economy. Well, there's a, there were existing programs in the law to fix and adjust the programs. Uh, we had to we had to change them to make people uh, actually. Make them available for you. Yeah, you heard it right. He's wrestling with the teleprompter again. But Joey appears, and the ghost of Joey's dad is back. Cut number 10. My dad used to say, Joey, a a, a, a paycheck is about more than a a job is about more than a paycheck. That's about your dad. I, I talked with Alex Ward about Joey's dad yesterday, and I've got the rest of that interview later today in hour three. Uh, because Alex Ward's brand new book, The Internationalist, is out. And uh, I wrote my book review for my column at Fox News. If you go to Fox News Opinion, you'll see it. Morning Glory, Biden and his disastrous national security choices. Team Biden thought it would get its side of the story out. It doesn't work. Alex Ward's book just takes the bark off of them. Uh, you need to go read that. Joe Biden again in Culver City, cut number 11. When I was vice president, all I heard about was Chicago, you know. Uh, but I'm making, trying to make sure they hear about Delaware, but it ain't working yet. Not working yet because you don't communicate. Cut number, tw- number 12. Look, folks, it's also helping you uh, who don't go to college. It's not just, you know, people say to me sometimes. Well, stop for a second, please. When you hear something manifestly stupid, you got to stop and say, wait a minute. The student loan forgiveness is for people who took basket weaving at college. And other people took good things at college. People who went to college are some some 120 million, or how much did he give away? He gave a lot. lot. 101,200,000? I don't know. But it's not for you. It's not for you. He says it's for you. It's not for you. Cut number 13. Early in my term, I announced a major plan to provide millions of working families with debt relief for their college student debt. Tens of millions of people in debt were literally about to be canceled. 
their debts. But my MAGA Republican friends in the Congress, elected officials and special interests, stepped in and sued us. And the Supreme Court blocked it and blocked it. But that didn't stop me. I announced we were going to pursue alternative paths for student debt relief for as many borrowers as possible. And that's the effort that's been underway the last two years. I fixed what's called the SAVE plan. It existed, but I fixed it to make it the most affordable repayment plan ever. Before I took office, student borrowers had to pay 10% of their discretionary income on a monthly basis. If they made less than, if they didn't have enough to do that, they were able to not have to pay that month, but their interest continued. A lot of people don't have the means to do that, though. Under my SAVE plan, we're cutting in half to five. Just stop it. Uh, he doesn't make a lick of sense. I try and cut this up so he makes sense. He doesn't make any sense. Campaign 2024 is going to be all about Donald Trump unless Nikki Haley upsets him on Saturday in South Carolina and Michigan, both of them probably. It's all going to be about Donald Trump making sense and being Trump and Joe Biden mumbling when he's allowed out of the basement, which isn't going to be often. Yesterday, he was in a friendly library. I mean, the library speech, the student loan speech, that's the excuse to fry out to L.A. and pick up bags of money from his L.A. friends, which he did. But it's an absolute incoherent set of remarks about his student loan debt. More news coming up. I got a lot more news. Don't go anywhere, America. Uh, Unless you're going to go buy some NVIDIA. Wow, NVIDIA. I'll be right back. Stay tuned. Headed to Nashville and the NRB today. But before I do that, I want to talk with Noah Rothman. Because I check in with him on Thursdays. He's senior writer for National Review. Good morning, Noah. How are you? Good morning, Hugh. I'm well. Good to see you. I have two things to talk to you about. First, your career choices. I'm reading about NVIDIA and the fact that artificial intelligence, NVIDIA is going to be up like a gazillion dollars today and all of the other AI stocks are. Because AI is real and it's really happening. I've been in this business since 1990. I first went on the air in 1990. And I have not been off the air for 34 years. I don't know if I was your age, if I'd make writing my choice, given what AI is going. Do you worry about that? Do you look over your shoulder and worry about AI? I don't look over my shoulder and worry about AI, Uh, not necessarily because um, the career choices I've made have been the most lucrative, uh, but because I do feel like there's a certain value that uh, AI cannot replicate and will not be able to replicate. AI is uh, a farming mechanism. It's something that duplicates um, quotidian writing. It doesn't replicate um, interesting, creative, thoughtful writing. Can you, uh, you we, we've, got, we've got a station in Pittsburgh, Noah, so you've got to slow down with the quotidian words. You want to explain what quotidian is for the Steelers fans? Uh, it's just a sort of a banal. Um, uh, you're not going to uh, hit the Steelers fan that. They think banal is something that's got a yellow skin. Banal is not helping. (laughs) Okay, sorry. I'm going to take it back. Take it down a couple of notches. It'll tell you what you want to hear. It'll feed you back what your – it'll feed you back what your biases are. Now, there's a huge market for that. Um, It it also has a tendency, as we've noticed over the last news cycle, with regard to this AI imaging uh, product by Google, that it is subject to manipulation – by people who have their own biases, that its its utility is limited to deliberately by people who don't trust their users, who don't think you should have access to unfettered information to to um, explore your own desires, your own impulses, uh, your own curiosity. 
uh, if that's the ceiling that's going to be imposed on this tool, it will forever be uh, have limited utility, limited value. Well, well let me ask you, uh, you've, like you've written a lot. Um, how long have you been being paid as a journalist? 2010. Okay, so you've, you've so been in this game for last, almost last 15 years. Last time I worked years. for free and I've never worked for free again. I don't work for free either. Sorry, I, I don't again. believe in working for free. Uh, I, I've been, first piece I wrote that was published and I was paid for was 1979. So if... AI comes along and I say, Hugh Hewitt, AI, Ukraine. They'll be able to turn out a Hugh Hewitt piece on Ukraine pretty quickly because I've written a lot about Ukraine. You've written about Ukraine this morning. Don't you worry that they could say we want Noah Rothman piece on Ukraine and that they'll be able to figure out what it is? I mean, it could probably anticipate what my outlook is, but it couldn't anticipate what I'm thinking about today, what my, uh, my what my years of study have produced uh, my years of study of the of the former Soviet space have uh, have led me to conclude and to an, to analyze events in real time with that historical background is not something that I think AI can duplicate. It can duplicate it after I've already done it, but I have to do it first. How do we so even I'm know it's you? You don't even know that you are you right now. We're not even sure that that that's you. That could be just an AI generated Noah Rothman. This is a, a mind-blowing experience, Hugh. We are getting deep into uh, into the, the matrix here. All right. Then let's get out <laughs> of the matrix. I really thought about it. It's going to be a simulation. 17 minutes ago, you tweeted, Biden isn't off the hook for Ukraine's peril. Uh, I don't know if you know Alex Ward at Politico. Politico is hard left. Politico is, is when it's talking about domestic politics, it's just the DNC. But Alex Ward is a serious national security reporter, and his new book called The Internationalist, you think, oh, gosh, this is going to be a, uh, a whitewash job for Biden. It's not. Boy, did they screw up Ukraine. Uh, all through the fall before they got invaded, Ukraine was asking for help, and they wanted to send them $200 million. The next year, they sent them $54 billion. They got it completely wrong. They thought Kiev would fall in seven days. Uh, Alex brings the goods. You write about it today. Do you think America understands how badly Biden, like his boss before him, Obama, screwed up Ukraine? No, just because he's been saying all the right things. And that's actually uh, that applies to his conduct and handling of the Israel Israel's war of, against Hamas. Uh, I have Alex's book on my shelf. I've been talking with him about it. I hadn't had the chance to, to review it or re- read about it, as you wrote about it today in a very good piece on Fox News. Um, and I wanted to. But Alexei Navalny's uh, assassination intervened. Um, but I'm not surprised if, if the public d- generally is kind of supportive of Ukraine. The polling is a little mixed, actually, and it's mostly just a test of partisan uh, partisan impulses. But no, if they were to review the record, they would see that Joe Biden has uh, done everything he possibly can to limit American involvement in this conflict, spending the first two years of the war hemming and hawing and doing this weird dance where he would say, oh, Ukraine needs everything, but we're not going to give them anything that they desire, that they ask for until we see battlefield successes. That's what shook loose high Mars. That's what shook loose um, a variety of other uh, platforms. Oh, we don't want to send them fighter jets and then they send them fighter jets. Yeah, it happened again and again and again. And then then they shifted to once the strategy began to fail, they shifted to giving them these platforms they need only after they've witnessed them fail. That's what shook loose at comms, attack comms rather. 
uh, and that's what has apparently shaken, shaken loose um, cluster munitions. And now we're talking about the, the disbursement of uh, long-range attack munitions, long-range rockets, which the Biden administration has never wanted to do for fear of, uh, uh, God forbid, they actually end up striking Russian staging areas in occupied territories and across the border. Didn't want to do that. That was too provocative. We were hearing about how that was going to happen in September of last year, any minute now. And only today are we beginning to discuss this seriously after Abdivka's fallen, after we're talking about retrograde operations around Rabatinia. Uh, all these places are now coming apart. And the Biden administration says, well, we got to get serious about this now. Too late. Too, and they well, should be held to account for it. They want, to get, they want to pass it off on Republicans in Congress. And Republicans in Congress might give Joe Biden the opportunity to weasel out of the consequences of his own actions. They just shouldn't. like the border. Just like the border. They might. Now, J.D. Vance is eloquent. He's a friend of mine, and he's wrong about Ukraine. Uh, and I believe we ought to send everything that moves that's a weapon there. And it may not be too late because trench warfare is pretty brutal on both sides to try and go over the top. But, Noah, the key question for Donald Trump is what is he going to say about Ukraine? He has walked a very fine line in the primaries. I think he's waiting to see which way this wind breaks. But I want him to come out for Ukraine. Do you think there's much of a chance he will? Well, I don't know, because, frankly, I don't know what he's doing. Um, his This ambiguity that he's cultivating um, is a, a little hard to believe, given the amount of people around him, including his own son, who have said exactly what J.D. Vance and his ilk are saying about Ukraine. Um, so I believe that his sympathies and sentiments are with his own movement. And I don't think he would um, try to uh, go against his own movement. When he encounters uh, something that's, uh, that, that is counter to the idea of the nationalistic, populistic sentiments that he's supposed to be the champion of, he has a tendency to comport more with their desires than his own. But we don't know what his desires are. And frankly, this is too important an issue to be ambiguous about. So I don't know what he's doing. It's um, OK as I a primary strategy. It's not OK as the president, as the president. And this is the problem with Biden. Biden can't rally support for Ukraine because he can't rally support for anything, Noah. It requires the ability <laughs> to take the podium and speak with a bit of emotion and a bit of delivery and a bit of drama and that's not going to come out of this president is it because he doesn't want to be a war president he's not, if you knew everything we know about joe biden ahead of his presidency was that he would be a horrible foreign policy president in part because of his timidity he is committed to this idea of back to alex ward internationalism uh quasi pacifism um, he sees America as a, a bridge builder, a peacemaker, not as a hyperpower capable of projecting power across the world in order to make definitive, con definitive conclusions, uh, establish con definitive conclusions on the battlefield. He does. He's allergic to definitive uh, uh, approaches to conflicts. He doesn't like conflict. That's fine. But you're the president of the United States. And now as a result of your timidity, you've got two hot wars on the planet with a third one brewing in the Pacific. And it's in part a response to our adversaries who look on the on the chessboard here and see a window of opportunity that isn't going to last forever. They're taking as much advantage of it as possible. Yeah, and it's right. directly attributable. You know, no, Biden's, I suggested uh, to Alex that if I had done the subtitle for his book, it would have been appeasement. It's back and it still doesn't work because that's the Biden years. Noah C. Rothman on X. He's writing about Ukraine today. Go and read him. Go and follow him on X and follow me to the next segment here on the Thursday edition of The Hugh Hewitt Show. 
Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Steve Krakauer is Megyn Kelly's executive producer. He is also the author of Uncovered, which is out in paperback today. Steve, congratulations on, on the paperback edition. I just told all the cheapskates out there that they can go get Uncovered now for less than when it was in hardcover. We talked about it, but I want to catch That's up with good. you about it. Good morning to you, and, and great to have you. Thank you for joining me. Hey, Hugh. Thanks Thanks so much, and happy birthday. I want to begin, thank you, with the White House comms director yesterday releasing a letter to the White House Press Association complaining about their treatment of the HUR, H-U-R report, which slammed the president for his willful retention of classified documents and then focused on the fact they're not prosecuting because he's an elderly man with a bad memory. The White House Deputy Press Secretary Andrew Bates complained about the press coverage and then complained about the focus on Biden's age and memory uh, uh, problems. What were we supposed to do, Steve? Right, right. I know. I, th- this is the thing. It's like th- this is what John Stewart got attacked about last week be- because he dared to state the obvious that 86 percent of Americans, depending on the poll that you're looking at, believe as well that, that it's obvious that Joe Biden is too old to do the job. It's not some uh, out- outlandish to think. So. So, yeah, no, I, I think that this is this is really Hugh, a sign of where things are in the media and in the political establishment. It's different than the Obama administration. It's certainly different than the Bush years, but it changed during the Trump years. And it, it maybe is irreparably changed at this point because this is new, this idea of the administration attacking the press. And let's see what the press does next, because I, I think that, that we're in this real fork in the road moment when it comes to the corporate media and the spy administration. Are they going to continue to tell the truth? Are they going to actually do their jobs, their investigative jobs, and and look into what life in the White House really is like behind the scenes? We don't see Joe Biden very often. But I think, you know, as I write in Uncovered, Olivia Nuzzi in, in, in uh, New York Magazine is one of the, the two dozen people I talked to on the record. And she made the point that a lot of these Biden administration officials are friendly, at least, you know, not necessarily best friends, but they're friendly with the people that are in the media themselves in the D.C. establishment that are covering this White House. And they have been for two decades. And so it's inevitable when you know people, when you spend time on the soccer sideline with them, watching their kids play play uh, sports, you're going to have just inevitably a different way of covering them. And and I think that's what we're seeing. And I think the administration is really trying to continue to drive a wedge between the, the, the press and the people, uh, the people that they're, they're meant to report to. In Uncovered, you look ahead, and I want you to do that for me a little bit. I'm talking to the NRB tonight, going to leave California, fly to Nashville, and talk to the National Religious Broadcasters. And my simple message is, now more than ever, because credibility is shot in legacy media. I mean, Really, nobody believes legacy media, ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN. They do believe Fox. They believe Megan. They believe me. They believe you. They believe podcasters that they like. If they listen to the commentary podcast, they believe it because we are transparent about what we believe. But they don't believe legacy media. And I don't know how they can repair that, Steve. I don't think you can repair that. 
I think it's going to take a real wholesale effort. And first of all, it's going to take admitting the problem. You've got, that's the first step. And, and I don't think we're anywhere close to that right now. I think any time that Donald Trump remains on the national stage, you are not going to get the sort of postmortem you need for the media to actually start to make some real changes and real efforts to, again, just restore basic trust. I think, you know, Hugh, I was at CNN from 2010 to 2013. I, I write a lot, a lot about that in my in the book Uncovered. And it's it was a different time then. It, it was a time when... When they tried to get it right, when objectivity was the goal, it wasn't always what happened, but it was the goal. There were biases. We tried to suppress the biases and put out the, the most fair reporting possible. That value proposition has changed. And in, during the Trump years, it became objectivity was this dirty word. The guardrails were off. And what you have is you may have some, some ratings gains, but you sacrifice that long-term trust. You no longer just come, people come to trust you at the CNN or New York Times or the Washington Post as just being boring old objective journalism. No, that's clearly no longer the case. So, so I think that, that it's going to be very difficult to, to regain that trust. I do lay out in the last chapter I've uncovered some possible ways of doing it. Uh, but I, I really do think that as long as the, uh, the big elephant in the room, Donald Trump is still on the national stage, as he certainly will be for the next year, if not the next five plus years, I, I think it's going to be extremely challenging because they have a bizarre addiction to Donald Trump that forces them to just amplify all their worst habits. And, and Steve, inevitably, I, I just did the NBC Salem debate, and I, I think you were in the room when I did the CNN debates four years ago. Inevitably, this turns out to be the case. After our first meeting, 30 to 40 NBC people, I turned to one of my NBC friends and I said, how many people in this room do you think voted for Donald Trump? And that individual said, well, I have uh, paused, stunned. And I said, well, I have the answer, me. I'm the one in the room that voted for Donald Trump. Nobody else in the room voted for Donald Trump. That was my opinion. I don't have any facts on that. I didn't quiz anyone. It's not my right to know. But do you think my guess was wrong? It's, it's 30 people, 40 people from the guy getting the coffee, the intern, right up to the head of NBC Universal News. Uh, and I just don't think anybody in media voted for Trump except me. No, no. And, and look, I think if you're looking at uh, Romney or, or John McCain, you're going to get a pretty low percentage, frankly, in that room anyway, although it probably wouldn't be zero. It wouldn't but be yes, zero. Donald Trump, John. Right, right, exactly. And I, and I think it certainly was zero. No, I, I lay out story after story uh, in Uncovered about how newsrooms in November 2016 were absolutely shocked. I mean, it's some to the point of tears about the election of Donald Trump. They were just it was it was completely unfathomable to them. And it's so interesting. We have this big diversity push in a lot of industries, but particularly in the media as well, about you know making sure we have more diversity in the newsrooms in a lot of different areas. But what we have not accomplished, and certainly is not even a, a stated goal, is diversity of thought, is diversity of ideas, and, and even backgrounds. Hugh, I, I talk a lot about geographic bias in the book. And I, as you know, from, from being in these, in, at these debates, you have this general sameness, not even just just politically, but culturally, of people who have, who maybe own a gun or who are pro-life. I mean, you don't have to necessarily vote for Donald Trump to at least start to represent the people of America in the thoughts that are that are through their heads. You do not have that right now in the Acela bubble in New York and D.C. newsrooms, and that's a huge, huge blind spot for them. They, they just don't understand. Dan Rather famously, it's attributed to Dan Rather, said news is where you look. They don't know where to look. They actually don't know how to do the news anymore. I got to go back to 2016. I don't know where you were on the night of 2016. I was 
uh, on the set with NBC with Chuck Todd, James Carville, Lester, Savannah, and Tom Brokaw. And there are hundreds of people on election night, right, at NBC? It was like a morgue. It was, it was absolutely <laughs> the most stunning night. Same thing had happened in, in my PBS days in 1994 when Newt won. They were wandering around KCET and L.A. like the, the Martians had invaded. It, it's just... It's right. so terrible. I don't know that they I don't know that any CEO is actually committed to the hiring that they would need to do. They'd have to go recruit directly from Hillsdale for 20 years to get some balance. Do you think they ever will do that? I, I, I think that they're because I, I, I talked to Selena Zito, for example, in the book, and she describes how there was this very brief moment of introspection right after Trump won. She describes how she was a you know, reporter who really saw it coming more than perhaps anyone. And she was brought in, talks about how Jeff Zucker hired her as a contributor, said we're missing something, put her behind the scenes and, and talked to the entire newsroom about what she saw. And then Almost instantly, within months, she would go on the air and she would be asked, well, what do people who voted for Trump believe? And then suddenly it changed. Why do they believe that? Why would they believe that? How could they believe that? And she said, well, I don't know. I'm just reporting here. And then she was sidelined for the next three years. And obviously, I don't think she's been brought back since. So, oh, and, so, and same yeah, thing I, happened I, to Mary I, Catherine Hamm. Jeff would ink people right. and then they would bench him. Pay, to, pay not to play. They, it was like they wanted to muffle uh, and, you you know, Jeff Tubin kept going there. You can't kill a leftist on TV, right? You can't. There's nothing no. you can do, literally nothing with specific reference to Jeffrey. We don't have to get in the details that you can do to get you barred from left wing media if you are left wing. I don't think that's an overstatement. Well, Here's the epilogue. But Jeff, Jeff Tubin was literally on CNN two weeks ago. <laughs> he's, he's back. Somehow he's back. And no, uh, you can never you can never lose that gig. Now, uh, I, I got to right ask you before so. we run out of time. You covered the Mueller process and I'm sure you've covered the her process. Yeah. When the Mueller special report came out, we got two volumes. He didn't find any crimes. He didn't find a cover up. Barr had to redact it for two weeks. And the storyline when the her report came out is. Boy, why did they release it when the storyline with Barr is, why didn't he release it immediately? It's like they don't even remember four years ago their standard. No, no. And, and this is this is so damaging. I mean, I, I will say there was some coverage in the media after the uh, the her, her HUR report. And I think that was right. I mean, it, it was it was a bombshell. It, it, even finding no crimes or at least saying that there is no crimes in this report because this is an elderly old man who would just be never 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 lose in a jury trial. Uh, yeah, th- this is this is bad. But what's interesting is that the journalists used to be about putting out the most information possible. But really, because of social media, I think we've turned this industry into lots of anti-speech activists, people who no longer want information to get to the public. They don't trust the public with information. I think this this plays right into the reaction by some to the special counsel report. Well, we can't put this out there. Think about what people may in misinterpret this report and, and maybe go against Joe Biden. I mean, it's outrageous, but this is where we're at because people have, whether it's COVID, whether it's Donald Trump, they have adjusted the way that they do the job of journalism to no longer be about serving the people, to really being about serving the powerful uh, in a lot of instances, the establishment. It's, and that's it's also, Steve, last comment on it. It's about saving your job. A lot of people know that media is suffering through a round of layoffs, which is devastating. I feel bad for them. People are in the media don't want to rock the boat because if they lose their job, they're not going to get another one. And I actually think the lefties who are everywhere are going to protect the lefties everywhere because they can't start hiring for diversity or they're going to be gone, Steve. 
Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, look, Hugh, I, I talk about how it's just the the, the broken financial incentive structure. It, it is. If CNNs and the New York Times of the world did everything right for the rest of their time, they still would lose that traditional reader and that traditional viewer every single day because of the changing business models. So, so yeah, what are they supposed to do? They're going to grab onto that lowest hanging fruit and just, just hold on for dear life as the business model completely implodes. So, so I think you're right. That's part of the problem is that even if they started to adjust towards the right way of doing journalism, they know the business is broken and they're, and they're, they're part of the old way, uh, as opposed to, you know, you and, and, uh, kind of what I'm trying to do. Steve, well done. Uncovered is available now from Amazon, from Barnes & Noble, and your cheapskates. It's out in paperback today. Uncovered. Go and get it. Learn about legacy media from Steve. I'll be right back, America. Stay tuned. Thank you, Steve. This is the Market Report, which is brought to you by our friends at American Federal, AmFed.com. AmericanFederal.com, actually. AmFed Coin and Bullion sells you gold, silver, platinum, if you're like the one, 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 one hundredth percent of people that collects coins, you can deal with them, too. They're very, very sophisticated. Ask for Nick or any of his team. Nick Grovich is my pal. If you want to buy gold, buy gold directly from Nick. AmericanFederal.com or call 800-221-7694. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Time to play Stump the Former Senator. Jim Talent was a senator from Missouri and a member of the House as well. Good morning, Senator. How are you? I'm fine. What do I get if I win? Uh, uh, um, I'll I'll send you my copy of Alex Ward's new book, The Internationalist, because it's so bad. I mean, the book is great, but the Biden administration is so bad and it's so accurately chronicled. Here's the question. Whose national security policy was worse, Jimmy Carter's or Joe Biden's? I think Biden's. Although it's been a while since I've studied Carter. It's, let me put it this way. It's hard to imagine one uh, that's worse than the one we've had now. And all you have to do is look at the results. You know, I know you, you've been talking about Ukraine, for example, and in the book you mentioned, which I need to get and read, it records that uh, Biden ticked off or said some mean things uh, to Putin in his summit. But that was after waiving the Nord Stream sanctions uh, it was after giving him a rollover of the New START Treaty with no conditions. And it was after giving him the summit on no conditions. So actions speak louder than words. And that's a big part of the problem here. We're seeing it in the Middle East. We're seeing it in Eastern Europe. And we're seeing it in, in uh, Indo-PACOM. A long time ago, Jim, when you and I were young, I worked for Richard Nixon. He was writing a book called The Real War. And one chapter was on summetry. And his admonition to future presidents was never go to the summit unless you know what's on the other side. When Biden went to Geneva yeah. in 2021, uh, the new book by Alex Ward says he looked at Putin, said, I've looked in your eyes and you have no soul. That sounds a little Clint Eastwoodish to me. I don't believe it. But he did walk away with nothing. And Putin walked away thinking this guy is not going to stop me. Exactly the opposite of Gorbachev and Reagan at Reykjavik. Correct. Yeah, look at, it goes back to Teddy Roosevelt. You walk softly, but you carry a big stick. Well, what we've done is we've talked big while allowing the stick to atrophy, and we've discussed this. I mean, look at the issues we're having in the Red Sea and with the Houthis, which is at least in part because the Navy's too small. So, you know, if you're strong and you have a consistent policy backed up by actions, you don't need to go in and act like Clint Eastwood, and you probably shouldn't. I doubt Richard Nixon ever did. You'd know more about that than I would. 
I do think there's an argument with the Houthis because they are affecting the price of every good for every country in the world. They're hurting poor people is an international occupation by a U.N. force. Now, I don't know that Russia wouldn't veto it or China wouldn't veto it, but I still think Saudi Arabia, the UAE and the United States and the U.K. has got to do something. They can't let the Red Sea be held hostage by a group of turn of the last millennium bandits. Can they? No, I mean, I'd, I'd try some other things first. I mean, Admiral Stab talked about some good possible reprisals yesterday. I'd add to that, taking out some Iranian Revolutionary Guard leaders, which, by the way, the Israelis have done quietly since last fall. I think they've taken out 16 or 17 IRG leaders. And remember when Trump took out Qasem Soleimani of the yes. Guts Force? I tell you, they sent a message throughout the Middle East. The so other let's thing- try some other things first. The other thing that he's mentioned, Alex, is that North Korea did not test missiles when Trump was president. They're back doing it now. To what do you attribute that change in behavior by the dictator Kim Jong-un? Well, it's in part that that's just their policy. In other words, they figured out, as other rogue regimes have figured out, that if you have nuclear weapons, it empowers you in the world stage because it limits the options of the United States, even under a good leader. So part of it is their policy. And part of it is the incoherence and weakness of our policy, really all throughout Indo-PACOM. We, we actually, you, and I always add this because I, I try and be fair, we have done a pretty good job of firming up alliances, like with the Aussies, with the Japanese, etc. But what is missing is the component of power. I mean, you were talking yesterday about stationing some of our littoral combat vessels as tripwires. I think that'd be a pr- pretty good idea. But I'd, I'd much more I'd rather double the shipbuilding budget. In other words, send the message to Xi Jinping that because he's doing what he's doing, we're going to engage in a Reagan-era-like buildup of America's armed forces. Now, that would be a deterrent. I There's agree. Level well, let's focus which- on the littoral combat ship for a moment, the LCS. Why is it such a bust, Jim? Is it because it can't do anything well? It tried to do too much? Well, I think there's two reasons. The first is that the, the decision to build it was made during the global war on terror. And, it, you know, it's called a littoral combat vessel. So the idea was that the Navy needed a capability to come in close to shore, uh, mine sweep, support uh, ground forces in anti-terror and counterterrorism actions. And the second reason is it's it's a modular platform you're supposed to be able to pull out different capabilities and plug in others. And I don't think the Navy ever got that right. So, I mean, and, and, and then the other problem, you is that uh, we're not spending enough to build all the capabilities we need. If we'd been building 40 or 50 frigates at the same time that could operate uh, in, uh, you know, on, in the high seas, well, the fact that you have the littoral combat, it would just be a capability that we're not using very much now. Yeah, I, and I got criticized yesterday by a friend saying, you're suggesting that the LCS be bait. No, I think I think it ought to be a tripwire, right? Just, we got our ships in harbor. Don't land here. Jim Talent on Twitter. You can find him at X at Jim Talent. The easiest X handle in the world, Jim Talent. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400.
I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I'm joined now by Josh Kroshauer, editor-in-chief of Jewish Insider. Good morning, Josh. How are you? Good morning, Hugh. Great to be with you. I want to begin with uh, the president of Brazil, Luiz Incasio Lula da Silva, otherwise known as Lula by the masses, a couple of days ago said Israel was engaged in a genocide as bad as Hitler's. Uh, okay, that's stupid, horrible, and Israel has rebuked him and barred him from coming to the country till he retracts that awful and incorrect statement. But guess who shows up there yesterday? Tony Blinken. To shake hand, grip and grin, Lula. Are you amazed that they did not cancel that visit? Well, I'm amazed that Tony Blinken didn't say anything right away uh, about his comments equating Israel's government with, with the Nazis. It was obscene. It, 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 it's, it's extreme. And it's nothing new from Lula, frankly. Um, you know, this is not the first time Lula has made some sort of nutty foreign policy pronouncement. He's been essentially ostensibly pro-Putin uh, since the beginning of the Ukraine war. And look, the, the U.S., you know, they, they've sort of been able I think that the approach has been in dealing with, 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 with Lula, Lula and Brazil is sort of compartmentalizing his crazy statements about other foreign policy hotspots and focusing on the, you know, the areas within the hemisphere that they can try to have some diplomatic uh, success. But I think it was a big error, and we reported on this at Jewish Insider you that you didn't hear Blinken say anything at all or even have any communique about their disapproval of, of, of Lula's comments last week. And eventually, we, we reported this out. Uh, the State Department, after we pressed them and after, after there was a lot of scrutiny uh, on what Tony Blinken did not say, they, did, they, they said that at some point that was acknowledged during their private conversation. I don't know if that actually happened, but they realized that it was a bad look not to bring up this, this egregiously uh, offensive comparison. And, and, he, you know, and I want to pause on this. He's the pre- Brazil's a huge country. It's a very important player. And its president is an anti-Semite, anti-Zionist who makes the most extraordinary and extreme statement comparing Israel to Hitler. It is patently offensive, not true, and ought to be disowned. You don't reward that unless you want to get it repeated. Blinken should not have gone. Now, you can do one of two things, three things. You can either go, which he did. You can cancel the trip and say it's because Lula is outrageous. Or you can cancel the trip and say the secretary is sick. I don't mind B or C. You know, it's a big country. It's got big interests. I do not get this, Josh, except that it's consistent with Linda Thomas uh, yesterday saying that they need a final solution for Israel. Uh, I know she didn't mean a Holocaust, but they're just dumb on this. They're tone deaf. Well, the big picture, Hugh, is what they're trying to do. I mean, I, I think on we've talked about this a lot. Uh, they've made some statements that seem tone deaf, you know, Blinken's comments in Israel we talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, trying to put some degree of faux balance when there, there is no balance. Israel's fighting a war for its own security, uh, for, for its self-defense. And uh, there's 
times when you hear this kind of moral equivalency and, and it makes you kind of cringe. That said, I think when you look at the substance, even up to now, where you, you, if you parse the language coming out of White House spokespeople, um, you know, they, they're not saying Israel shouldn't, you know, go into Rafah. They're saying they can go into Rafah as long as they kind of accommodate certain humanitarian uh, exigencies and make sure X happens before that, before that operation begins. So if you actually, I mean, if you actually look at the substance, if you look at the pressure they're getting on their left, as we've talked about a lot too, you, um, it, it is. I mean, they, you probably won't find, a, a, you know, a, in terms of policy, uh, many other Democrats that that sort of share, you know, the the commitment that Biden has had to supporting Israel. And yeah, I, I'm just not buying that that commitment's still there. I think he forgot about it because he's losing his memory. I uh, I listened yesterday to the new edition of For Heaven's Sake. That's a podcast from the Hartman Institute. That the time of Israel has. I listened to it because Daniel Hartman and his co-host Yossi Klein Halevi are very, very smart, and they're liberals, right? They're lefties in Israel politics. They hate Netanyahu, so I want to hear from both sides. And yesterday's broadcast is: is have people given up? Have they forgotten ten seven? Looks like the world just forgot ten seven, and the coverage of it is gone. And Israel is now the villain again, and no longer a victim. And they don't want to be victims. They just want people to remember that 10-7 is sort of unprecedented. Do you agree with them that the world media, not just the U.S. media, but the world media said, enough of that, let's move on? You know, to some extent. I don't think that's anything new. I mean, we've been, we've been seeing this right when the war started. I mean, there was, there was, you saw the outburst of anti-Semitism even before Israel uh, went to war against Hamas and, and, and the campuses. And, 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 and look, I think the media coverage, we, we've written about certain publications that we think have been pretty egregious in, in, in sort of having an anti-Israel bias, sloppiness with, with their coverage, relying on Hamas leaders uh, with, with, without any degree of, of, of skepticism or scrutiny. So there's, there's been a lot of issues with, with, with coverage that we've seen. But look, I, don't, I, I think when you look at public opinion, and this is, you know, this goes back to, you know, what, 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 why the White House is doing what it's doing. And you look even within the Democratic Party, you see folks like John Fetterman, you see the rank-and-file Democrats, majority of lawmakers on all these big votes. They're standing with Israel. They're supporting their their, their defense against Hamas. Now, you, I think the problem and, and what, what they're bringing up is sort of the elite spaces, the, the media, academia. That's where you're seeing a shift. That's where you're seeing the most significant. Have you, have you picked up semitism? Have you picked up Alex Ward's new book, The Internationalist, yet? I haven't read it yet, but I'm eager to read it because uh, I've, I've seen some of the excerpts and it looks like there's a lot of good. Reporting. Oh, there. One of the most impressive parts about it, I'd forgotten that in. The summer of 2021, actually in May of 2021, uh, there were some riots in Jerusalem between Arab protesters and Israeli protesters, or I should, they're, they're all Israeli, Jewish Israelis and Arab Israelis fighting over a neighborhood in East Jerusalem. And then Hamas started to, to lob in dozens and dozens of rockets. So there was the first Hamas-Israel crisis in 2021. And the telling of it is, it's sort of spooky. Biden is strong. But then Rashid Tlaib yells at him, and then Bernie Sanders writes a op-ed, and then they turn on Bibi, and they make him stop. It's like a preview of coming attractions, except Hamas got much, much more vicious in between. Do you remember that summit? I, I oh, forgot that incident completely. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, there's something of an Obama mindset. I, mean, I do think you have to look at the Obama administration. Yes. People, right? And that, that is an important bit of history, and I think I'm, that's why I'm really eager to read the book, because... Obama really did shift the conversation within the Democratic Party on Israel. I, I think Biden is much more of a traditional Democrat, but you're seeing some of the staff, some of the operatives, some of that, that muscle memory from the Obama years 
having an impact even on the Biden administration. And um, look, that 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 is the sort of the story that it's all, it all started back back in 2014, for even the big Gaza war then, much smaller than it is now. But you saw that kind of uh, the divide, the schism, the debate over Iran. Those were sort of that, that's the origin story. The, the Obama years and how the Democratic Party, which was once lockstep with Israel, ended up basically pandering to this far left faction that is much more influential, especially at elite levels of government and, and, and certainly within the bureaucracy. So they talk a good game and then they work against Israel. That is my conclusion. But I can't persuade my friends who don't want to give up the illusion of bipartisan support for Israel because there are some Democrats who are still very strong with Israel. And I mean, there are some that are very, very strong, but they are not in the White House and they are not in this administration. And I know that Tony Blinken's stepfather is a Holocaust survivor, but he ought not to have gone to Brazil. Quick quiz for you, Josh. Another terrorist incident in Israel today. Three terrorists with submachine guns come upon a traffic jam and they open fire and they go car by car. It's really spookily reminiscent of 10-7. They've only killed one thus far. Another woman is in, who is pregnant is in surgery right now. And then armed civilians and security forces killed the terrorists. So not a good idea to attack Israelis in their car because a lot of them are going to have weapons. Do you think that will get much coverage tonight? Well, uh, it, you know, certainly it, that's not the first time an incident like that has happened since 10-7. Um, there have been other, other episodes of terror uh, within, within Israel. So, uh, Sadly, that, 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 that's part of the course. That's why, frankly, they're, 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 the security concerns are front and center on every Israeli's mind, whether you're left, center, or right, um, that, that they don't have a partner for peace. And, and I think one of the other things that has been a little tone deaf from the Biden administration is this insistence that there has to be a Palestinian state at the end of the October. I mean, the notion that, that that would be a reward of some sort for what happened on October 7th. I mean, the real challenge is the degree of anti-Semitism and hatred on the Palestinian side. And it's a, it's a long-term process, but... And until that hatred subsides and they're willing to live side by side with Jewish state and a Palestinian state, that you're not going to have that. Yeah, it, it's not tone deaf, Josh. It's they're blind to facts on the ground. It, it's, it's very different from being tone deaf. I'm often tone deaf, but I am not oblivious to what's right in front of my nose. And I do think Team Biden is. Alex chronicles it. I'm sure Jewish Insider chronicles it. And I know you do. Follow Josh on Twitter at Josh Crashauer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.